This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and this week I'm joined once again by Stella Yu, reporter for Bridge, Michigan. Hello, Stella. Hey. Gun control is an issue that has been talked about, but has never gotten a lot of traction when it comes to change. That's largely because the state house and Senate have been run by Republicans who oppose most, if not all, efforts to tighten gun control laws. Well, next year, there's a new party in power. Democrats have hit the trifecta, House, Senate, and Governor's Office, and some of them want laws restricting access to guns to be a priority. Stella, you had a great piece in Bridge on this this week. Can we expect some gun control laws to finally see the governor's desk next year? Yeah, I think it's quite possible, especially when, you know, the Democrats have such a golden opportunity in front of them, controlling both legislative chamber for the first time in four decades. And so uh, Governor Whitmer has already said that gun control will be a priority for her. I've interviewed some Democratic leaders who have also mentioned, um, you know, reintroducing some of the packages that had long been stalled by, you know, committees um, controlled by Republicans. So, yeah, I I'd say it's quite possible. What are some of the types of laws that Democrats are looking at seriously? Are they focusing on safe storage, access, where you can carry a gun? What are we looking at? So uh, I've talked to incoming leaders of the of both the Senate and the House. So that's Winnie Brinks and Joe Tate. Um, both of them have mentioned, you know, they are going to look at at least three packages. One is safe storage, um, which is going to require gun owners to um, secure their weapons, um, you know, in, in, a, in a rather safe way. Um, and then um, red flag laws is one of the areas that they are going to be looking at. Uh, several states already have that, which um, I'm sure we'll touch upon later. Um, but that is basically, you know, allowing family members um, to identify to a police officer when they think that um, someone they care about uh, or someone around them uh, pose a danger to themselves or others. Um, and the final area they're looking at is universal background check, uh, which, you know, has al- already been in place in several other states as well. So other states that have historically leaned Democrat have been able to pass various versions of gun control laws. What has their success rate been with lowering gun-related crimes and shootings and accidents and things like that? Yeah, um, actually, I think it's really hard to say because of the lack of studies that are out there. Um, But actually, I I would say not just states that lean Democrat. Um, In Florida, for example, you know, they have also passed a red flag law. And red flag law usage in Florida has been quite impressive compared to you know, actually some Democratic states like California. Um, I think Florida, California, and Illinois might have been the three states where red flag laws are used the most in that people report on um, those that are at risk of um, harming themselves or others. In your piece, you talk about how Bridge reviewed more than 20 studies on safe storage, red flag laws, and universal background check laws. What did you find? Yeah, so I guess the biggest thing I have found is the lack of studies out there about the effectiveness of these laws in general. Um, And there is a reason for that. Um, I spoke to an expert at UM and she told me, you know, because of the 1996 Dickey Amendment, um, that basically took away federal funding for um, any studies about gun control or promoting gun control. Um, And it wasn't until recent years, you know, after Congress struck a deal a couple of years ago, 
ago that federal funding started flowing again. And so a lot of the funding for these um, studies had relied on for decades, you know, private funding, grants and stuff like that. So that's, I guess, like front and center. But of the studies that we have seen over the years, you know, most of them are on safe storage. I've read about more than a dozen. You know, it's really a mixed bag in that it's really complicated. Most safe storage studies, though, have shown that in one way or another, um, safe storage laws could reduce the risk of either firearm suicides, firearm injuries among children, shootings performed by children either accidentally or, um, you know, school shootings. Um, There actually aren't as many studies on school shootings. There has been a rise in mass shootings, especially school shootings in recent years. And so researchers are gradually turning their attention to um, school shootings, too. Um, And so in terms of red flag laws, um, yeah, the studies are pretty scarce again, but um, uh, of the studies that are out there, again, most have shown it does help reduce firearm suicides. Some have found less of an impact on firearm homicides. Um, But I guess one interesting thing really is um, that among the states that have red flag laws, not a lot of states that are actually using them. The reason for that, I mean, some experts have said the reason for the lack of usage um, of red flag laws is because people either don't know them or, you know, enforcement is weak. And so that has been really interesting. And then studies on universal background checks just aren't as conclusive as those on safe storage laws. Most experts have said you need more data and more time to conduct research because um, laws like red flag laws and universal background checks, they're so new in some states, you really don't have the time to analyze the impact of it. Let's dig a little into the rest of the legislature. The lame duck session is here, and it's the last few weeks that Republicans will have any majority But it looks like they're ending on a whimper instead of a bang. So what have they been up to? Yeah, so the House actually just wrapped their session this past week. Obviously, there's the um, the exchange of blame between Republicans and Democrats that a 200 million deal fell through. So Whitmer had originally asked for a $200 million investment into the state SOAR fund, which is this uh, business incentive program. Um, And Republicans were negotiating with her office. um, And then it somehow fell through uh, because the Republicans said they didn't get this tax code change that would have effectively exempt businesses from paying taxes on some of the services like delivery and installation. So pretty much in the weeds. Some Republicans have argued, you know, the deal could have brought Uh, you know, some really well-paying jobs to uh, the UP. Um, But yeah, they just didn't get through, uh, get to that. And quite honestly, Whitmer wouldn't necessarily have that incentive to get it done during the lame duck session, because, you know, if any deal fell through, she can always renegotiate or, you know, if it's even necessary to uh, talk about these deals with um, incoming Democratic leaders. There wasn't any fireworks uh, that took place in the last days 
um, during the lame duck session. One thing the Senate had passed was moving up um, the presidential primary date of Michigan from March to February. And that um, coincides with, you know, this push from Michigan delegation, as well as President Joe Biden to elevate some of the other states like Michigan, right, in the presidential primary agenda. Um, and uh, but but the, but that remains to be seen. And the House did not take it up. Um, and so this will get kicked to um, next year. So not a whole lot at the end of the year where the legislature is concerned, but we have seen some action on ballot proposals, which I'm sure a lot of people thought those were over because they were voted on and they were passed. Two of the proposals that were passed are now sort of in a weird limbo. Proposal three that enshrined the right to an abortion in Michigan and proposal two, which wrote existing voter ID rules into the Constitution and would give voters up to nine days of early in-person voting. Those both passed by healthy margins at the ballot box, but now they're up for recounts. What happened here? Yeah, I mean, um, so, yeah, so it's uh, it's 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 a uh it's a weird dynamic that day at the board of canvassers meeting where, um, you know, basically uh, it was it was prompted by uh, a group of election deniers who tried to, um, you know, push for the recount, not because they wanted to change the outcome of the election, um, but rather they wanted you know, data to guide them for, you know, quote unquote, future actions. So even the backers of that recount request um, acknowledged that, sure, I mean, after you conduct a recount, it might not change the results. But what we want to see is the actual data. We want to see the actual recount process. And so um, that was really, uh, that was really interesting, to say the least, because essentially part of the recount process would be funded by, uh, you know, the American Project, which also supported several conspiracy theories in 2020 and supported Trump's, you know, unsupported claim that there had been widespread fraud. And now it's come out again to support this recount process. Um, and I think an important thing to note, too, is that despite the fact that this group is paying some for the recount process, taxpayers still need to pay for some of the expense for manpower, for example. And so part of the recount is already underway. Um, in Ingham County, for example, um, this morning, the county clerk just tweeted that they actually found some more yes votes for proposal three after the recount. So again, like that, that kind of, you know, feeds into the idea that, you know, mathematically, this wouldn't change the outcome and, um, but 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 again, like that is not what the backers are after. It kind of feels like the board is giving in to conspiracy theorists, you know, those that have continued to say that the 2020 election was stolen despite there not being any evidence of election fraud. So I guess what does the board hope that they will accomplish with this recount? Yeah. So even the board members um, acknowledged that this is silly. And Tony Daunt, who is a Republican and who chairs the board, has called this a fishing expedition. Um, you know, so all the board members seem to acknowledge that, yeah, this is uh, not going to change the election outcome, but all this is going to do is really raise the question into our election administration process. Um, but the discussion that they had that day was interesting in that 
some board members started discussing if we reject this recount request, would we give more room to election fraud theories? Would we give more ammunition to people who have suspected that we didn't do a good job um, administering our our election, which is, I guess, the, the world that we live in now, <laughs> where we have to worry about how things might look like versus, you know, where things really are in reality. We're closing in on the end of the year and Bridge has a lot planned for its end of the year coverage and wrap ups. Stella, before we head out, what should readers be looking for on the Bridge Michigan site? I guess one mission that we have right now is to take a look at uh, what the Democrats want to do when they take over. Um, As we mentioned, this is going to be the first year in several decades that they take over. What are some of the policy priorities that they're considering? What are advocates saying that, um, you know, they hope that the Democrats would do? And um, what would the dynamic be like when the Democrats have such a slim majority in uh, the House and the Senate? Like, how would they work well together with the Republicans? Would they work well together with the Republicans? Um, Those are some of the things that we're keeping an eye on. Stella Yu is a reporter for Bridge Michigan. You can find her work on the Bridge Michigan website. Stella, thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Mishmash was produced by WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This episode was produced by myself, Shana Roth, and Hearns Laguerre Jr., Our news director is Jerome Vaughn, and our podcast manager is David Lyons. Our digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak, and our podcast interns are Ashley Harris, Patrick Burness, and Jack Philbrand. As always, if you listen to this podcast and want to support it, and we really hope you do, you can do so by leaving us a review, or you can also support WDET by going to WDET.org slash give. Without your donations, this show is really not possible. We'll talk to you next week.